All right, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Those of you who are going through the story with me on Wednesday nights, you may have already read the chapter that we're going to talk about this week. I don't know. Have you done that already? Anybody? Have you already read the chapter? Or are you like me, a procrastinator? You wait till the very last. Oh, yeah, I see. A couple of you good students. Thank you. You get an A for the day. Very good. Teacher's pets. Well, this week's chapter in the story is chapter 6, and it's about the nation of Israel who was wandering through the wilderness, making their way to the promised land. And I don't know if you're really familiar with the story or not, but let me just kind of summarize it really quickly by saying this. The nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then if you remember the story, God used Moses and a series of plagues to miraculously deliver the Israelites from that bondage. We see God parting the Red Sea. We see the nation of Israel crossing the Red Sea on uh, dry land. And then as the Egyptian army pursues after them, God causes the waters to, to flood over them and the entire Egyptian army is destroyed and the, the Israelites walk free into the... Uh, into, uh, they continue their journey toward the Promised Land. God then takes them to Mount Sinai. He gives them the commandments. He establishes a covenant with this nation, and then he begins the process of taking them on into the promised land of Canaan. But this is one thing you're going to notice when you read this part of the story. Nearly every step of the way, I mean every step of the way, God's people grumble. And they complain. And they whine. We don't have enough water. I'm tired of eating this manna. We want meat. I want to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery, man. What's up with that? Moses, you're a lousy leader. When are we going to get to see the promised land? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Have you led us out here in this God-forsaken wilderness to die? How many of you realize that people are just people? No matter what age you live in, no matter if you're male or female, we seem to be, we're just grumblers by nature, aren't we? Grumbling comes as natural to us human beings as breathing itself. As a matter of fact, one guy said this, he said, complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. So everybody right now, do this. That's really what we're going to do today. This. Am I a grumbler? Am I really a... Has anybody ever told you that? I had a, my best friend in ministry actually confronted me one day, and he said, Mark, I love you. I love what you bring to the table. I love it when you share your ideas, but Mark, you have such a critical attitude sometimes. Sometimes you are such a complainer. And I went, what? Me? He changed my life when he told me the truth about myself. He changed my life. I'm serious. I'll never forget that conversation because it marked a new beginning for me. I began to consciously evaluate the words that were coming out of my mouth and why I was saying them that way. That's another sermon. Anyway, 
That brings us to today's parable. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, let me give you the context of this parable, and let me say this too. Those of you that have the notes uh, on, the, on the app, you, you've already probably opened up that, those notes, and you're, they, I may or may not follow them today. I don't know what I'm going to do today. I'll be perfectly honest. This message has created such conflict in my mind, I can't decide exactly what I need to say, so I'm going to kind of trust the Holy Spirit with it. We may go in a completely different direction than what you have in your notes. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, th- this is the most confounding parable sermon I've ever preached. I don't know where we're going with this, Chris, but here we go. Let me, let me give you the context in which Jesus gave this parable. I think it's important we see that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus and, and his disciples have a conversation, and it starts with a question that Peter raises to him. Peter looks at Jesus and he says in Matthew 19, 27, we have left everything to follow you. We have left everything to follow you. What then will, will there be for us? We have left everything to follow you. Now what's in it for me? Jesus responds, and I'm going to give you just a, uh, a portion of His response in verses 29 and 30. He goes on to say, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for My sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now let me paraphrase what I think Jesus is saying there, if you don't mind. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Peter there is, Peter, you may have to pay a heavy price to follow me, but believe me, Peter, when I say that the reward for your sacrifices, the reward for your efforts, will be worth it all one day, Peter, Brittany, Shay, Sean, you're not a fool for giving up what you can't keep to gain an eternal reward you can't lose. It's just a take off the Elliot quote. You're not a fool for giving up what you can't keep to gain an eternal reward that you can't lose. Now, the parable of the workers in the vineyard is a story in which Jesus probes our hearts, the motives of our hearts, as we live this life for Him. It's it's a story intended for us who claim to follow Christ, who say we have put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. It's for us. It's not for the world. It's for us. It's not for the self-righteous. It's for us. And it probes our hearts. It makes us ask questions like this. Am I satisfied with what God sovereignly provides me each day for my needs? Or do I grumble with every step because I think I deserve more? Do I serve the Lord because I'm grateful to Him and love Him for all He's done for me? Or do I have a mercenary heart? You know what a mercenary is, right? He'll fight for anybody as long as you pay Him for it. Do I have a mercenary heart? Do I serve Him for what I can get out of Him? So it really begins to probe the motivations of our heart. Why are we in this thing to begin with? Why are we in this thing to begin with? So let's read the parable and get into this message, okay? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and, about, and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Say expected. Expectations. Expectations set you up for resentment. Move along. But each but each one of them also received a denarius. These who were hired, excuse me, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Why did they grumble against the landowner? Because they expected something differently. And that expectation set them up for resentment. Okay, anyway. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, and I got to tell you, I believe when Jesus said that, when Jesus said, but he answered one of them, he looked right at Peter. I just know he did. I can see the humor in it. I can see the point of it. But, when he, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. He didn't call him employee. He didn't call him... He called him friend. I, uh, that's important. I think he calls us friends, right? He just wants us to understand the nature of the relationship we have with him. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who, has, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Say envious. Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first. And the first will be last. So this parable is couched between those two statements. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for this word. And I, I come to you still in a state of confusion about how you want to proceed. I'm simply going to trust you, Lord, to speak through me today to give this wonderful group of people the word they need today. Teach us what we need to know. So that we can put it into practice. So that we can examine our lives in the light of it. 
so that we can grow into the people that you want us to be. This is an amazing group of people, Lord. Incredible potential in this room. Do damage to Satan and, and, and hell. Tremendous potential in this room to expand the influence of the kingdom of God. But Father, our human natures are exactly that, very human. We have a tendency. We have a tendency sometimes to fall back into that old nature. To pick up some of those old attitudes and those whole old habits, those old way of seeing things and doing things. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus you would not permit that. But today you would illuminate our hearts and lives and help us to see what this word means to us and how we can put it into practice and how we can live our lives in such a way that we only focus on you and your calling on our lives and the jobs you have given us to do and find ourselves content in that. Just walking each day with you, unencumbered by a desire for more. Unencumbered by resentment toward you or anyone else. Help us to just focus on you and your calling upon each one of us as your sons, as your daughters. We'll praise you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just unpack this parable as simply as I can, and this is the only way I could go about it. As I studied for this parable, I, I tell you, I read more and studied more and tried to think through this thing more than any other sermon I have done in years and years and years. And I still don't think I got a handle on it. It's, it's that rich. It's that, that, it's that many levels to it. I'm just going to try to give you the best that I've, that I've got as the Lord gives it to me. Is that all right? Understand, you can take this home and get something completely different from it because this parable is that stout. It's that strong. But let me unpack, unpack the parable this way. First, by taking a look at the characters involved here in this story. We have the landowner. Now, this landowner is wealthy, obviously, and his vineyard must be huge because he needs a lot of workers to harvest his grapes. And harvest time has come. Time is of the essence. They have to get the grapes harvested before they lose them to the rains that are about to set in. This landowner, he's got all the money he needs to hire all the workers he needs to get the job done. Now, this landowner, of course, we understand this, represents God, and the vineyard represents God's kingdom, okay? Then we have the workers. The workers, they represent people like you and me. People like you and me. They come on the scene in five different groups. We see the first group that's hired at 6 a.m. That's first thing in the morning. Now, these guys are up early. Obviously, they're eager to get to work. Those are all good things. They negotiate with the landowner and agree to their wages. And the landowner agrees to pay them a denarius. Now, in that day, a denarius was the standard pay for a full day's work. So the money's good. And the landowner's being fair with this first group of workers. So off they go to the vineyard to work. Then we have the second group. They're hired at 9 a.m. in the morning, three hours later. Now that's not too late in the day. The sun's just really gotten up pretty good, right? It's not too hot. And there's still a lot of work to be done. And these guys appear ready and able to do the job that they were going to do. So the landowner promises, now pay attention to this, the landowner simply says to them, I will pay you whatever is right. There's no set fee, no set wage agreed to. 
These workers take the landowner at his word that he will do right by them, and by faith, they trust him to take care of them at the end of the day. So off they go to work. The third group, we see them come in at noon. The sun is up. A lot of the work's already been done. But they agree to go to work, and they get the same deal as those hired at 9 a.m. The fourth group, hired at 3 p.m. The day's just about gone. But they still are available to work. So the landowner puts them, puts them to work, and they get the same deal as those hired at 9 a.m. and at noon. The landowner simply tells them, I'm going to do right by you. This fifth group of workers, they get hired at 5 p.m. The workday ends at 6 p.m. Not much of the day left. Most of the work for the day has already been done. It's just one hour before the end of the workday. I want you to notice this now. The landowner didn't promise them anything. Not a thing. Didn't even promise, them to, promise to treat them right. But still, they went to the vineyard and began to work. They simply trusted that the landowner would give them something, a little something, even though there was no guarantee in it. They went to work, trusting, hoping that the landowner was a good man, a man that would treat them right. No guarantee. Now, before we go any further, I want you to think about this. When it comes to the characters in this story, when the day began, all these workers were in the same boat, right? Unemployed, needing a job, nothing in their pockets, no place, no position. They were all in the same boat when the day started. And when the day ended, the landowner paid them what he agreed to pay them. Some of them got more than they expected, I'm sure. But nevertheless, they got paid what the landowner had said they were going to get paid. Another thing I want you to notice is this, that as those workers came available and showed themselves to be willing, the landowner put them to work, no matter what time of the day it was. See, there are lots of levels to this thing. Some of us have been serving the Lord nearly all of our lives. Some of us just started yesterday. Some of us have been preaching the gospel for 35 years. Some of us started preaching yesterday. I don't know which category you fall into. Maybe you haven't heard the call to work in the vineyard of the landowner or serve in the kingdom of God. I don't know where you're at in it, but I'm telling you this. There are a lot of lessons to learn from this parable about the grace of God. About God's justice. About how good He is. If you'll simply take Him at His word and serve Him from your heart. The fact that this landowner gave the last group the same wage as the first group is purely an act of grace. 
the landowner was obviously a kind and compassionate man, and he didn't have to pay them like that. Nobody was expecting him to pay those workers like that. But he did, because he could. Let me tell you something. You can be sure of this. No matter where you're at in your walk with God, no matter when you come into the kingdom of God, you can believe this. God isn't going to withhold any good thing from you. That's not who He is. If you think that God wants to withhold good things from you, you have completely misrepresented God in your mind and heart. He is more gracious and good than we could ever expect. But if all you expect from God is that, that may be all He gives you. You see, some of us are walking with God expecting all the time. God's pretty good about giving us what we expect, but you know what He's better at? Giving us what we don't expect simply because we love Him and trust Him. Come on, man. Some people in this room are so focused on God getting them sober. And when they get sober, they're happy. That's good. You don't understand. You're just getting started. There's so much more to this life than getting rid of mind-altering drugs. You know what I'm saying? But if that's all you want, sometimes with God, that's all you're going to get. You want your marriage. I want my marriage to be healthy. Awesome! God's really good about meeting those expectations like that because he, he wants your marriage healthy too, right? But don't you realize He wants so much more than that for you? If you just focus on that, that may be what He gives you, but that may be all you get. Let me get back to the story. Jesus then throws a wrinkle in the story. It's a surprise wrinkle. Nobody expected it. When the time comes to pay the workers, as Jesus tells the story, he says the landowner starts by paying them in the reverse order in which they were hired. Now, there's probably nothing really surprising about that. It's a little unusual, maybe. He begins by paying them in a reverse order. He begins by paying the last group what he had promised the first group. And we see in verse 9, it says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now, I got to tell you, the people that were hired at five o'clock when they received a full day's page of pay for one hour of work, how many of you think they were like jumping and dancing all over the place, rejoicing in all the goodness of God? They were having a party, man. They're like thinking, you've got to be kidding, man. Look at God. Ah! It's so late in the game. I'm so old. I can't believe God would use somebody like me. I can't believe He would take me and use me to affect the whole world around me. I should have done that. I hear that all the time from people who come to the Lord late in their life. But that's how good God is, man. He opens up all kinds of things. No matter how late in life you come to Him, He'll open up all kinds of opportunities for you. But that's not the point of this story. Now, that's an enormous wage in that day and age for one hour's work. One denarius. Full day's pay for one hour of work. And I'm sure that first group was thinking, the first group that was hired at the beginning of the day, when they saw the landowner hand out that full day's pay for that one hour. You know what was going through their mind. Man, if he paid them like that, I can't imagine what he's going to give me. 
He gave them one denarius, one hour's work. Whoo! I worked 12 hours. That means I'm going to get one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to get 12 denarii. That's what they expected. That's what, the, that's what they expected more. They expected more. But then the landowner sets them straight. He says, wait a minute. I agreed to pay you a denarius, and that's what you're going to get. They had agreed to work for that one denarius, just one denarius, and that's exactly what they received when it came time for them to be paid. Just one denarius. But what that did is it exposed the hidden motives in their hearts. We get a glimpse into why they were serving in the first place. We see it in verse 11 when it says, when they received it, they began to grumble against the land. Listen to me. Every time you start to grumble, it's revealing something about you and it ain't pretty. It's not pretty. I'm so grateful my friend pointed out to me how critical an attitude I had, and, and, and how often I grumbled and complained. He gave me an insight into what was really going on in my heart, and I want to do the same for you today. When you grumble, it gives people around you, and it ought to give you an insight into what's going on in your own heart, the motives that are actually in place. Verse 12 gives us the heart of their complaint. This is what they're complaining about. And you know, I, I hope that I don't lose you in this, but listen carefully. Verse 12 gives us the heart of their complaint. It says, those who, were hired those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You get the inflection here? You have made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us. I've worked my tail off, but you made them equal to us. Their problem really wasn't with the co-worker. The problem was with the landowner. Listen to me. Search the Word through and through. I didn't have time to pull all the Scriptures. But every time you grumble, you're not grumbling about your situation. And you're not grumbling about the people in your life. You're grumbling. You are complaining. Your complaint is directed toward the Lord Himself. You're saying, God, you're not good to me. God, you're holding back from me. God, if you loved me, you wouldn't. You have made them equal to us. Let's pull back for just a little minute. Wasn't it the landowner who hired them in the first place? Wasn't it the landowner who hired them when they didn't have a job and no prospects for a job? Wasn't it the landowner who paid them as he promised when they had no money in their pocket? and no way to buy groceries for their families? Wasn't it the landowner? Without that landowner, they wouldn't have had a job at all. Without that landowner, they would have had nothing at the end of the day. But it was the landowner who treated them fairly. It was the landowner who hired them when they made themselves available. It was the landowner who paid them what he agreed to pay them. He had been just with them, right? He'd done them, right? They should have been grateful, right? They should have been grateful. The landowner did what he said he would do. He gave me a job when I had no job. He gave me a place, a position, when I had nothing to speak of. He put change in my pocket, man. He made a difference in my life. They should have been grateful. But instead, what did they do? Grumble. 
Come on, everybody do it right now. I want you to think about the conversations you've had this morning. The conversations you had yesterday. Grateful or grumbling? Grateful or grumbling? You see, the motives hidden in their hearts got exposed when they began to grumble. And all that grumbling did was reflect poorly on them, their character, their heart, their motivations. Their grumbling exposed a deeper problem, another problem, the problem of envy. Now, I think there can be any other, uh, uh, you know, several different motivations for grumbling, but envy is definitely one of the most common. And in verse 15, the landowner himself diagnoses this problem of envy that's in their hearts. He says, when he says to them, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I'm generous. I gotta, I, I tell you what, the reason this parable is so powerful is because we find ourselves rooting for that first group. I don't know about you. You think they got treated unfairly, don't you? Come on. Don't you feel like they got ripped off? They got jipped. They should have gotten more. They weren't treated fairly. Come on. I, found my, I find myself rooting for them. That is absolutely human nature. Think about it. Because we've all probably been in the same kind of situation before, haven't we? Where we did all the work. We put in the hours. And then some Johnny-come-lately comes prancing into the room, throws in a couple cents worth of work and effort, and he gets as much credit as you do. And it fires us up. I'm going to go in there and give that boss a piece of my mind. Come on, man. I know. That's the way we are. That's the way I am. That's the way I am. You know better than me, are you? Come on. It's easy. It's easy to find yourself rooting for this first group of workers. We identify with them. We've been there before. We've been put in a position where people who we didn't think were equal to us have been made equal to us. Y'all got really quiet. It's easy to find yourself rooting for this group of workers, and I think that's exactly why Jesus tells this story. He is trying to put His finger on something that's true about most of us. We think we're being treated unfairly. We think other people are being treated better than we are. And they've done less to deserve it. Some of us sitting in this room can't believe that we still aren't finished. We still haven't walked out of our obsession with drugs and alcohol. You've been at this thing for two years and yet there was somebody over there that did it for three months and they're, they're like, what's up with that? I can introduce you to preacher friends of mine who believe the Lord has mistreated them. They're much more gifted as speakers than the place that they inhabit on a Sunday morning. They think that they ought to have a bigger church. 
And so they do everything they can to tear down the other churches in their, in their city to make those people seem less and them seem better. We all know people like that. We, we find ourselves rooting for the people in this first group because we are, we've been in that situation, maybe in that situation today, where we believe that someone is getting what they don't deserve and I'm not getting what I think I do deserve. We root for the wrong side because we think we're like that first group we identify. We have worked so hard, but we've received so little. The other guy has worked so little, but he gets everything. Am I the only one that ever feels like that? So we grumble about it. We grumble about it. But listen, our issue really isn't with the guy who gets what we think he doesn't deserve. Our issue is with God. Because God is being so generous with them when they don't deserve it. I hope you see that. Do you see that? Do you, do you see how when we grumble like that, we're really not, it's really not that person we have the issue with. It's God we have the issue with. He's the one that's being more generous to them than they deserve. Why isn't he generous like that with me? We begin to think that God's just being stingy. God is so stingy. If he gave me what I deserve, but he's stingy. I serve a stingy God. That doesn't even sound right, does it? Sounds like blasphemy. That's what we say. That's what we're thinking. He's holding out on me. If he loved me more, he'd lift me up. He'd do this and this and this and this. He's doing it for them. Stingy God. Y'all, you hear how silly it sounds? We do that. I, I find myself doing that. So when you boil it all down, grumbling just reveals a deeper problem. The deeper problem is our issue with God, and sometimes the deeper problem is our issue with envy. And we, we get mad. We get mad at God because He's being better to someone else than He is to us. And I think, let's... let's Wind it down. Good. Okay. I think that this Jesus tells us this parable. I'm going to try to boil it down here and hopefully bring it together. It teaches us something about ourselves and it teaches us something about God. Jesus tells this parable, first of all, to point out how deeply flawed we are in our thinking sometimes when it comes to God. And he teaches us and, and thinking about ourselves. And also he wants to correct our view of God. First, he, what he teaches us about ourselves is that we have a tendency to overestimate, to overestimate our own importance. We have a tendency to think way too highly of ourselves. Think that we're the ones that the world can't live without. We have a tendency to overestimate our own importance. Romans 12.3 says this, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Let me just say this, and I'm going to move on. Frankly, we're all nobodies unless God makes us a somebody. We're nothing without Him. Whatever status you may enjoy in the kingdom of God, whatever blessings He may lavish upon you, 
It's more than you deserve. It's more than you deserve. We overestimate our own importance, but we also underestimate the power of God's grace. We underestimate His grace. God is no man's debtor. He, he, he owes nothing to any of us. No matter how hard you work, you still don't deserve what you got. That's the whole, that, that's the heart of Christianity. We don't earn his favor. It's a gift of God to us. You can't deserve it. You can't merit it. You can't, give, you can't live long enough to get it. You simply enjoy it as a gift. God is no man's debtor. God will never cheat you or anyone else out of anything. He's not going to cheat you. He's not a stingy God. He's not holding out on you. That's not who He is. That's not in His character. That's not in His nature. The only thing that any of us really deserves and none of us wants is eternal punishment. That's what we deserve. But God, in His glorious mercy and grace, He's so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He gave us what we didn't deserve. Forgiveness and freedom. Let me tell you something, guys. Don't ever underestimate the grace of God. If we don't go to hell, then everything else we experience in this life and in the life to come is pure grace. Every Thing we, that comes our way if we don't go to hell is pure grace. Every day we wake up, take a breath, pure grace, man. Every day we lay our head down knowing that we put in a full day's work, pure grace, man. Every day we struggle in life, but we come through it. Grace, man, pure grace. Every blessing we enjoy Big or small, pure grace. The worst day on this planet, in this life, is as close as you're going to get to hell. Every day? Yeah. I don't care how bad your day is. That's a day of grace, man. It's, a, it's like he hands you a present with a big bow on it. I don't care how bad your day is. It's a gift of His grace. Because you don't have to go to hell. <laughs> you don't have to face eternal punishment. We have a tendency to underestimate the grace of God. We have a tendency to overlook it. We have a tendency to ignore it and neglect it. And I encourage you, if, if you find yourself grumbling a lot, <sighs> take a look. Take a look at your life. Matter of fact, if you sit down with me in any kind of counseling situation, one of the first things I'm going to tell you to do is every night before you go to bed, get you out a piece of paper, write out a gratitude list. Because I don't care how bad you think your life is, God has given you more than you deserve. You've got so much to be... I'll tell you what, right here, right now. What are you grateful for? One thing, really, one thing. What are you grateful for? Just, just name it out loud, Brian. Wife. Come on. Kids. What? Not where you used to be. Woo-hoo-hoo! Sometimes I'm afraid we forget that. I know where I used to be. Thank God I'm not there anymore. Cindy? Answered prayer. 
The ability to make a clear mind to make the decision with. Some what? Unanswered prayers, yeah. Some of those prayers I prayed could have gotten me in a lot of trouble. All right. Here's the remedy for grumbling. I, I told you this thing is scattered. I don't, you know. Here's the remedy for, for grumbling. The parable suggests two things to us. You tired of grumbling? Are you? I hope you are. I hope you are. I much prefer to be around somebody who is, whose mouth is full of praise and gratitude. And you know what I'm saying? Come on. Everybody's like that, right? Sincere. Yeah, yeah, sincere. Not put on. So everybody. All right, here we go. Here we go. Remedy for grumbling. First, be grateful for God's blessings. I mean, really be grateful for God's blessings. When you catch yourself grumbling, stop and begin to thank God for all the blessings He has lavished upon your life. The men who worked all day and who got cheated, they forgot it was the owner who gave them that job in the first place. Don't let that be said of you. God has given you this life. Live it to the full every day, recognizing that everything that comes my way is pure grace. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 kind of really hammers the point home when it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I know that some of you right now are in a tough chapter in your life. I had a conversation you know, with a couple of you this morning and you're really facing some issues. But can I tell you, <laughs> I wish, and I hope at some point, and I hope that I'll always be able to see it this way, but when I look back over my life, it's when I was going through those tough times, when I was facing all that adversity and hardship and all those difficult choices, it was, it's in those times where I, I felt the presence of the Lord more in my life, where I turned to Him because I was desperate and had nowhere else to turn, where I felt closer to God than at any other point. And it's in those difficult times where I see God working and moving, sometimes in ways I didn't really appreciate at the time. It's those things I look back to now where I'm at when I face another similar situation. I'm able to see, like David did, why should I fear Goliath when he's already helped me kill the lion and the bear? You're learning lessons right now. Even though it's hard, you're learning lessons right now that in the hands of God, it's pure grace. You don't like it. But God is teaching you things now that He's going to use later on in your life to bless you and maybe bless others. And in the meantime, all the people around you get to see you handle it with His strength and His courage and the willingness to walk it through. You're blessing people right now because of your perseverance. Because you won't give up. Because you keep taking the next step of faith. You're blessing them. They will. They find themselves being inspired, if you will, to do the same. Just take it as it comes, man. Recognizing even this problem is an act of pure grace in the hands of a God who loves me. Who's not going to be stingy with me. Who's going to give me the strength and the courage I need to face this and work through it. Be grateful for God's blessing in every situation. For this is God's will for you in Christ. And the second thing I think we need to do, we should take away from this parable if we're going to cure our tendency to grumble, is to avoid the comparison trap. Avoid the comparison trap. 
This really goes to the heart of our problem. The grumbler can't take his eyes off the other guy. The grumbler can't stop comparing his experiences with God with the experiences others have with God. We've got to avoid that trap. That is a trap the devil sets for us, and we step in it over and over and over again, and it keeps us unhappy and discontent and dissatisfied. Every commercial we watch on television says, if you would just do this, then you could be like them. <laughs> they want you. They want you in this trap of comparing your life with somebody else's. And they don't want you to think for a minute that you got a good life. Your life can always be better. I mean, that's the way it works, y'all. That's the system the devil has set up for us to live in. Don't step into the trap. Avoid this comparison trap. Remember that God isn't obligated to follow our standards of fairness. He's not obligated to act like we think He should act. Do what we think He should do. Treat one as we think He should treat us all. He's not obligated to do that. He's God. He's sovereign. He does what He, what he wishes to do. He has His reasons behind it. We simply trust that what He's doing is for our good and His glory, whether we like it or not. He doesn't have to follow our standards of fairness. So, let me be honest. Let me be honest. He may, it may appear as if, let me put it that way, it may appear as if he is blessing one person, but not the other person. What? I thought the ground was level at the foot of the cross. Yes, it is. Thank God. The people who came into the vineyard at 6 a.m. got paid the same as the people who came in at 5 p.m. Equal in, in terms of that. Well, I thought he was no respecter of persons. That's absolutely true in terms of salvation and eternal life. He promises if we put our hope and trust in Christ Jesus, if we repent of our sins and believe that Christ died on the cross for us, that He will forgive our sins and set us free to live our lives for His glory That's, and enjoy eternal life forever with Him. Absolutely true. Again, the people who came in at 5 p.m. Got, got paid the same as the people who came in at 6 a.m. That's all true. But He may choose to work in your life differently than He works in somebody else's life. And it may appear as if He's blessing them more than He's blessing you. He's elevating them, and you're just kind of stagnant. Now, you've got one of two choices here. You can keep looking at that guy and resent him and resent the God who is blessing him because he's generous. Or you can focus on the fact that the God you serve isn't as generous as the God he serves. And your God is stingy and holding out on you. When we don't know why God's doing what he's doing. We don't know why God seems to be blessing them in this way and not me in that way. So what are you going to do? Are you going to see God as stingy and holding out? Or are you just going to trust He's God and He has His reasons? And it's okay. Because my life's pretty stinking good anyway. Does that make sense? 
I have been around too many people in ministry. Uh, let me just be honest, in ministry, who resent the fact that the church down the street's growing by leaps and bounds while theirs is stagnating. And they think God's holding out on them. I'm a better speaker. I got better people. I got better program. Blah, 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 blah. And in their heart, they're saying to themselves, God ain't fair, man. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what God's doing. All I care about is the kingdom of God advancing. All I care about is the harvest being brought in. All I care about is souls being saved. Let the church grow down that road. I hope it explodes as long as the gospel's being preached and people are being forgiven and, and set free by the blood of Christ. I don't care. That's the attitude I want to have. It's not all the, always the attitude I have. And so every once in a while, I have to do this. <sighs> That's what grumbling does for me. And I hope grumbling begins to do for you. Why am I grumbling? What is going on in my heart that makes me resent God being generous to them? It's really not about them. It's about me doing what God has called me to do. And being content with that. And enjoying the blessings of that. And enjoying this gift of pure grace that He gives me every day in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. I think that's why Jesus tells us, I think that's why He brackets this parable by saying, at either end, at the beginning and at the end, by saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I think He's trying to drive home a point here, and I hope this point comes home to you today. There will be people around you who appear to be doing so much for God. They appear to be so blessed by God, and it leaves you wondering why God would overlook you. Don't be fooled by those appearances. Don't be fooled by those appearances. God rewards faithfulness, not results. He's not calling us to pursue a life of outcome. He's calling us to pursue a life of faithfulness of doing what He has called us to do to the very best of our ability as He gives it to us to do. All we're called to do is to be faithful to God and trust Him to bless us in a way that's best for us, for our good and His glory. So, so we, we have to stay focused on our relationship with the Lord. Stay focused on our experience with the Lord. Let Him take care of the other guy. Let Him take care of the other guy. If he wants to be generous, let him be generous. Just let him be, let, let God do what he wants to do. Galatians 6.4, listen, I, I, there's so much going on in my mind right now because the, the, the New Testament is full of scriptures that talk about this in different ways, not quite so clearly. But you have, throughout the New Testament, you have people who are motivated wrongly to preach the gospel and, and they're advancing. I mean, they're advancing. And, and people are trying to get Paul to make them stop. And Paul's saying, as long as Christ is preached, I don't care. Let Christ be preached. Let those guys... Here I am stuck in prison. Because that's where he was when he was writing this. Here I am stuck in prison. These guys are out free. They're making a big name for themselves. They're living off the offerings of, of people. They're, they're preaching the gospel to these huge crowds. They're getting the big name. Here I am in prison. Paul had every opportunity, if anybody had the opportunity, or the privilege, if you will, to grumble about his circumstance, it was Paul. 
but he chooses not to. He says, that's fine. As long as Christ is being preached, I don't care. I've got to do what I've got to do. I've got to focus on my life, my calling, my purpose. Let God do with them what he wants. And that's really where it is with you guys, and me too. I've got to let God do what he wants with the rest of y'all. I've got to focus on what he wants for me, what he's calling me to do. There are some women in here, you can't stand the fact that there are happier marriages in this church. Why don't you focus on your own marriage? Come on. Some of y'all upset, maybe. Yeah, that's a maybe. I'm, I, that other one was a maybe too. This is a maybe. You're upset because other people seem to be getting further ahead financially than you. Well, why don't you just go ahead and become the better worker, the best worker you can be as God helps you and let God take care of them. Just don't you, you worry about what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Some of y'all maybe want a position somewhere in the church or somewhere else. And it seems like everybody else keeps passing you by. And they're taking the positions that you think belong to you. Well, why don't you just focus on becoming the best person you can be and let God take care of that and take care of them? Does that make sense? Instead of trying to tear them down, why don't you let God build you up and become everything He wants you to be? Galatians 5, uh, 6, 4 says it this way, pay careful attention to your own work. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Avoid that comparison trap. 